You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Uh, I'm just going to read uh, verses for today. We're going to be in Ephesians 1 again, and I'm going to read from uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his, glor- of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. For he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only is this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it all in all. Amen. Thanks, Jose. Let's hear it for Jose again. Amen. Super excited for your family to be here. Um, all right. So raise your hand if you feel like you have figured out this whole life thing. Raise your hand. All right, one. Teenager, great. <laughs> uh, I love that. Um, but I, I was thinking about this this week as I was reading this passage, and one reason we don't is because we are not the ultimate authority in anything in life. I mean, uh, imagine if you were the ultimate authority in something like the stock market. Like you were the one that determined when it went up, when it went down. Like you would be a baller, right? You would, like everybody would go to you, you'd be the smartest one, everybody would, like you'd be filthy, you'd be Elon Musk, right? And so that's, if you, or maybe the housing market for you realtors, right? Imagine if you were the ultimate authority that determined when the houses went up, when the house was down, you would go and you would sell your house at the high and then the next day you'd turn around and be the authority and say everything's low, then you'd go and buy everything. What about, in inflation, or in war, or in pandemics. If we were the ultimate authority, we could then, what? Control things. Who is a control freak? See, sometimes we think that we're the ultimate authority. I mean, it's crazy to me how everybody turned, especially on social media, from a covert expert to a war expert overnight. Right? All of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, posting these things. Like, I know what's going on. I know what's really happening here. And then all of a sudden, this war breaks out, and it's like, well, let me tell you about this. Right? And all of a sudden, these people who must have all the time in the world to do all this research can figure out what's really going on. Because we want to be in control. We love to be the authority. I think most people would love to be in charge and listened to. I think because of this, Humanity has always pushed against authority because we know better than the authority. That's how it always is. In every season of life, whether you are a teenager 
or a kid or first job out of college or second job out of college or fifth job out of college. We think we know it all and we should be the one in charge. I think uh, this plays out for me and my family uh, for some reason at bedtime. What is up with kids at bedtime? Like they could be great during the day. And then all of a sudden, like they turn into monsters. Like all they need to do is brush their teeth, brush their hair, get their water, get in bed. And it's like you just rip the world from them. I don't know what it is, but it was like you just told them that they had to go run like an ultra marathon or something. They're like, what? I can't believe it. It's like, we do this every night. <laughs> but they in some way, shape, or form want to be the authority. They want to be in charge. They want to be in control. Teens. Man, this is going to wage war on your souls. There's an age, maybe 10, 11, 12. What? I, I don't know why they're laughing. I, just, I was just looking randomly into the crowd. Um, that all of a sudden, our minds and our brains, they begin to tell us that we know more than the people around us. And that we should have an opinion. At least that's what our culture is telling us. From kindergarten, our culture is trying to tell kids that they should have an opinion on what is best. And this is going to mess up everything we know as life. Because we weren't created to be the authority. We weren't created to be the end all be all. There is one who is and always will be. And that's why we look to his word. So if you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, we'd love you to hold it in your hands. There's some Bibles in the aisles if you don't have one. There's a great app um, on your phones and on your tablets and um, that's called the YouVersion Bible app. I'd really encourage you to get that. It's great to do personal study with. And for the last four weeks, we've been reading through Ephesians 1. 15 through 23. This is this pastoral prayer that Paul is praying over a people that he loves. So we have to remember what context this is being written in. Paul is in prison right now. And his heart is heavy and there's a lot going on. And he's remembering stories and hearing stories of the faithfulness of this church in Ephesus. And it's bringing joy to his soul in the midst of what feels like in that moment to him darkness. And we're going to hone in on verses 22 and 23 um, today. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is the end all, be all that fills all. Jesus is the end all, be all that fills all. And if you're a note taker, and I hope some of you are taking notes, that's why you're on your phones. Um, there's three questions that we're going to ask today. First one, why does Paul end his prayer like this? Second one, what does it mean for the church. What does this, what he's praying, mean for the church? And third, what does this mean for the world? So before we dive in, let's look at the context of, before we dive into verses uh, 22 and 23, let's look at the context here. Verse 17, he uses this word that. So Paul is praying over these believers and he's using this word to connect why and what he's praying. And he's praying for those who have had their hearts enlightened. So now he's connecting this all the way up to verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, where he talked about people in verse 4 that were chosen by God. In verse 5, that were predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters. 
listen, church, we don't have to be fearful of these words. I don't know why, in, uh, I think it's in the Western church, we all of a sudden shudder when we hear words like, like chosen and predestined and adopted. But these are beautiful words. That there is a God who sees you, who sees you and loves you and wants a relationship with you. So much so that he brought you out of darkness into light. He brought you from his enemy into sonship, into being a daughter. This is a beautiful thing. And so Paul is saying, for those of you who have had their hearts enlightened, what does that mean? For those of you who have placed your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. For those of you that have done that, he's praying over them that they would know and receive the hope to which he has called you. That they would know and receive the riches of his glorious inheritance that they would know and receive the immeasurable greatness of his power. All right, participation time. I want you to raise your hand. And this is not one of those, like, baptistry raises, all right? Like, I want you to raise your hand if you want to know and receive the hope of Jesus. Raise your hand. If you want to know and receive hope. Or some of you don't. Okay, that's fine. If you want to know and receive the riches of his glorious inheritance. Anybody want to receive the, the riches of his glorious inheritance? What about... The immeasurable, think about this one first. Do you really want to know and receive the immeasurable greatness of God's power? Raise your hand. So if that's true, if that's true, then why are we not praying this over ourselves every morning when we wake up? Why are we not praying this over our kids? and our neighbors, and our co-workers. This is what God has for us. This is what God wants for us as his children, that we would know and receive these things. And then let's look at verses 22 and 23. What does he do? This is talking about God. And he put all things under his feet, Jesus. So God, the Father, put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So let's break this down. Why does Paul end his prayer like this? I believe Paul is fully aware of humanity's desire to sit on the throne. Paul's aware that in our human nature, we want to be the ones in control. We want to be in authority. That is why Eve ate the fruit. She had everything that she could ever want, ask, or desire. And when she felt like something was being withheld from her, and she realized that she ultimately wasn't the one who was the end-all, be-all, she tried to take matters into her own hands. Ever do that? Okay, just me? Great. We do it all the time. For a plethora of things, in big things and small things. I try to be the one that's the, the final say. But what does God do? God in his sovereignty places all the authority, not some, not most, all of the authority on his son Jesus. And so this is how God set it up. And to give us a visual, I, I put this picture together. It's cheesy, I get it, but here it is. So this picture is going to come up on the screen. Oh, there it is. Um, so this is kind of the layout that we're seeing in this passage. 
there are all things. Did you know, uh, I can even give you the Greek for that, the translation in Greek, all things. There you go. All right, so it's everything. Everywhere you live, work, and play, everywhere you look, all things that God has placed Jesus as the head, as the authority of all things. Oh, we got a falling base. And God is the authority of that base. Let's hear it for John. Come on. John's the man. And so God has placed Jesus as the authority, as the head over all things. And he has given Jesus to the church, placed him over the church to fulfill something, to fulfill a mission over all things. So Jesus is over all things. His church administrates and enacts his authority. And then there's everything else. So Jesus fills, so when we're talking about he fills all in all, he fills in authority and provision. That's who he is. He is the authority. He is the provision. His church is filled with his spirit to enact his will, his desire to the world. And then in all things, he fills with his omnipresence. What is that? He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere. His sovereignty. His, he he is, fills everything with his presence. And so this is the pattern that we're seeing here in verses 22 and 23. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, hence the picture, to the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what does this mean for the church? He is the authority, and we administrate, and we steward, and we minister his will and his plan. That's what it means to the church. So if you're ever wondering, okay, I'm a part of a church, or we're a part of the church, what do we do? What we do is we administrate and steward and minister his will and his plan to all things. So what does this mean? To administrate means we supervise the execution of his plan. So he is the director, we are the actors. We, to steward means we are responsible for overseeing and protecting only what belongs to him, which is all things. So you ever as a parent get to this place where you're like, you know, telling your kids not to do something, and you're like, yeah, because I own it, <laughs> right? It's mine. Well, actually, it's God's, and I've had my kids say that to me, and that's hard in that moment when you're trying to teach them right theology. To be like, you know, being like, you can't do that because that's daddy's. Well, actually, dad's Scott's. You're like, true. But. But it is true. My kids, they don't belong solely to me. God loves my kids far more than I ever can imagine, than I ever am capable of. My wife, whom I love dearly, dearly, God loves her far more than I do. She is his, and he's called me to steward that. And then to minister means that we serve and care for all things and point all things continuously to him. So who's in charge of the church? Not me, not Tim, not an elder board, not a committee. Jesus. The 
Yeah, we may be uh, a church that is elder-led, but, but that's only us leading you to Jesus. That's our role, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to point you guys continuously to Jesus as the sole authority in your life. If we begin to say to you anything that's outside of this, we've failed. This is the authority, not us. We're just spokesmen. We're just people that are supposed to stand up and herald his word and be ambassadors of his word, his will, his desire. My family and my business, we begin to separate business and, and church, right? Well, my, my, my church life is my church life. My business life is my business life. And I can do what I want to do in my business as long as I do what's right in church. No, 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 there's no separation. God is in all. He is all. He has given you your business to steward for his glory. Your finances, they don't belong to you. They belong to him. And you've been called to steward them. But we live in a culture that says we have to do, like, get better, get better, get better. Try harder. More successful. Keep up with the Joneses. Right? That, you know what that means? The neighbor next door gets a new car and all of a sudden you're looking at your car and you're like, oh. Well, maybe if I trade this in and I do this and I do... Maybe it, then I can. Who's the authority in everything? God. So who administrates and enacts his will? His church. We can't expect an unbelieving world who doesn't desire or want to submit to the authority of God to enact and enable his will. I don't know why we as the church are trying to project onto our unbelieving friends and family to say that you have to live out the will of God. What they need is they need to know that Jesus loves them and wants a relationship with them. And once they surrender to the fact that he is the authority in their life, then they can begin to submit to him in faith. But it doesn't make sense to a couple who doesn't believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior not to be living in the same house, not to be sleeping together. But for some reason, we try to lead with that. Here are the do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. And they're looking at us like, why? You're like, because God says so. And they're like, who cares? And I know we even hear that. We're like, oh. But an unbelieving world really believes who cares. Because they don't believe in God. And so what our job is, is to point them to the fact that God is real and true. And really does love them and want a relationship with them. And it's not to shackle them from doing the things that they want to do to pleasure themselves, but actually to do the things that, that brings glory to God and His name and His glory. And in doing that, that will satisfy their souls in a way that they've never experienced ever before in their lives. All the things that they're doing, trying to, to stuff it down and, and, and get some type of satisfaction with the things of this world. And then all of a sudden they surrender to Jesus and there's a whole new level of joy that they can experience because He's the one who created joy. He's the one who created satisfaction. Every pleasurable thing you've ever experienced in your life was given to you, created by God for you to enjoy. And so, God is not out to get you. He is out to give you himself, a relationship with him. So, look at what God says about his church. John 8, 31. These are going to come up on the screen. John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, my disciples. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are God's fellow workers. 1 
1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? We are his disciples. We are his fellow workers. We are God's temple. Well, then don't you think it's prideful in some way, shape, or form to put the church over all things? That's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Um, no, because that's how God set it up. Look at this with me. Here's some more verses. 1 Corinthians 6.3. Do you not know that we, the church, are to judge angels? What? Yeah, that's written in the Bible. Revelation 3.21. The one who conquers the church, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So often, I think, a side note, I think we believe that God is somewhere far, far, far away. And we're way over here. And that, that one day, day he's going to return, and that's great. But, but then even then, we're going to go into heaven, and he's going to be far on the other side of heaven, hanging out with Moses and Abraham. And, and we're going to be way, because, you know, we're not those guys. We can't even wrap our mind around the fact that God is everywhere. But he will be very completely, 100% present with you, just like he is right now. And so we get to sit with him on his throne. Revelation 2, uh, 26, I will give authority to my church over the nations. 2 Timothy 2, 12, if we, the church, endure, we will also reign with him. He has placed the church in a specific place in this world so that we can be a conduit between him and the world, the lost and dying world that is broken and hurting and hopeless and powerless. You remember the things that we raised our hand for before? Remember I said, who wants to know and receive the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance and the measurable greatness of his power? We get to be the conduits to all things for those things in everybody's lives. We get to place those things before them and say, hey, in all these things that you're searching for, it's Jesus. That's the place he has placed the church in. So why doesn't this play out as simply as it sounds or looks? I mean, that's a pretty simple picture, right? Jesus' head, the body, all things. Well, the reason why it doesn't play out that simply is because of sin. Sin in the world and, and sin within the church. If we're expecting perfection in the church, you will always be let down. And if you find the perfect church, leave it because you're going to ruin it. Some of you are getting it. We are all sinners. The church is not a place for the healthy, but the sick, the broken. People who are continuously admitting they don't have it all together. But that they know the one that does. And so, sin messes with this kind of structure that the Lord has set up. And in the world, the enemy has instilled something called relative truth. Relative truth. So what is that? Well, to say something is absolutely true means that it is independently true for all people, even if they do not know or recognize it. That's absolute truth. It's true no matter what. To say something is relatively true means that it can be true for one person and not for the other. Our world is spending all of its time, energy, capacity to destroy God's absolute truth. Because our world is led 
by God's enemy, the devil. And he has convinced the world that there is this thing called relative truth. Look at Disney. Oh, it's so happy. It's magical. And it is waging war on the souls of our kids and on us. Because it wants us to believe that what God has set up and ordained is not actually true. That you and me, because of what we want and what we desire, because we want the ultimate authority, can determine what is and what isn't. But Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When that question was asked to the appointed Supreme Court justice, that's what she should have read. That's the answer. It's there. It's clear. Because it's his truth. He's the one who determines it. He's the one who spoke and we came into being. The clay can't say to the potter, I don't want to be this. He is the king. He makes the truth. But the devil has convinced humanity. Teens, young people, the world is trying to tell you that you have an opinion that you can change what God has said. And it will only lead you to death and destruction. That's it. What God says will always lead us to life. What the world says will always lead us to death. End of story. And if you've lived long enough, you know that every decision you ever made that was against what God had said led to destruction in your life. You know that. Look back over your life. I don't even have to convince you of that. Like, that, like, even if you don't believe in God, you're sitting there going like, oh, yeah. Why? Because that's what it is. <laughs> God and his sovereignty and his word and his truth leads to life, the world, and its ambiguity and its relative truth, and it's you do you, do you will always lead to death and destruction. You cannot stand before a king and tell him that he's wrong. And at one day, everyone will stand before the king and be judged. And each and every one of us have only one thing that we can hold up as an account for, for why we should even be close to being in relationship with him. And it's not because you are a good person. And it's not because you gave a lot of money. And it's not because you served on the worship band. And it's not because you're a deacon or an elder. The one account that we have before a holy God who is king is Jesus. His life for ours, his death for ours, and his resurrection. And belief in him and him alone is the only thing that saves us. Amen? God's authority doesn't play out in the church either, just like the world, because the enemy has launched a full-scale attack on God's church. And so that's why you're seeing pastors, prestigious pastors, what the world calls celebrity pastors. That's not found in here, by the way. But the devil is hard after, and guess what? I am a sinner. I don't want you to be surprised. Tim is a sinner. (laughs) I'm just glad it wasn't Kathy. Um, um, 
We're sinners. We're broken people. And if we ever stand up here and it's like, hey, I've figured this out. I'm the one who's got it all together. And I'm telling you what to do. Like, kick me out of this place. Do what the Bible, stone me. I should be. I'm figuring it out. I'm struggling. I'm wrestling through it. But only by God's grace that he has surrounded me with men like Tim who when I start messing it up, he's, be like, he's like, hey, bro, let's not do that. Let's not go there. Hey, this is wrong. Men like Jose has a brother. I could be like, hey, man, I'm struggling with this. And he can, he can speak truth into my life, my wife. One Saturday morning, I was just grumpy. She looked at me. She's like, hey, babe, why don't you go take some time in the Word? <laughs> That's what we need. We need one another. And this is why we need Jesus. The church, as the church, we need to be fully dependent and fully surrendered to Jesus in all things, in every area of our life. And so as we go into worship in this back set of of song, it's going to be a great time. We're going to give you some space to have a time of confession. In that time, it's going to be a really good opportunity to start asking God, in all things of my life, where have I not surrendered to you? In every single area of my life, what have I not fully given you the authority in? And then God gives us this beautiful thing called confession. And we get to say, God, I'm sorry. And we repent. What does that mean? We are going one way. God, you're not the authority. And repentance means we turn around. And we start going in a different direction, which is, God, you are the authority. So in this time of confession that we're coming to in the bank and start coming on up. Oh, no, wait. Give me a sec. Um, that we need to be fully dependent and surrendered on God and Jesus in all things. And this is why we need each other. I mean, Paul is in jail right now in one of the darkest moments of his life, and his heart's being encouraged by the faith that he's hearing about from the church in Ephesus. We need to hear more about each other's stories and where God is at work. We're going to start instilling some more testimonies on Sunday mornings to hear what God is doing in your life in the lives of our community groups, in the lives of the different ministries that God is doing. Why? Because it's encouragement to our souls. I know some of you feel like you're in some really dark places. You're hurting. You're broken. You're suffering loss. And in those things, we need the church to surround us and rally around us and hear the testimony of the Lord and his faithfulness. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are we loving one another really, really well? Are we coming in to church on a Sunday morning, sitting down and not interacting with one another? Or are we engaging with one another? Older men, are you discipling the younger men in this church? Are you making it a point on a Sunday morning to walk over to a young guy and say, hey, my name is Scott. Nice to meet you, Ethan. And then the next week, remembering Ethan's name and maybe even asking his wife's name and his kid's name and then starting to pray for them on a daily basis, writing their names in the back of your Bible. Open a note up in your phone and say, okay, I met Ethan and Sandra and these are his kids. Okay, great, I'm gonna pray for them this week. This is what we're called to as the church. And it's like this. So what impact should this have on all things, the world? We are God's chosen ambassadors to fill all with the good news of Jesus. So this is what this looks like. If I had a waterfall, which was a continual overflow of uh, water, I'd bring it up here, but I couldn't fit it on the stage. And so I'm going to use this, all right? So all analogies break down, but this, imagine being a waterfall. 
what we tend to do is within our own power and in our own strength, we try to begin to pour the love of Jesus into people's lives. But eventually, we end up becoming empty, right? So if we're doing this in our own strength, in our own power, in our own authority, we can tell people about Jesus, but in the end, we only have so much to give. That's why it's so important that God is the end-all, be-all that fills all. Why? Because as he pours into our life, what happens? The love and the relationship that we have with him begins to overflow into the lives of everyone around us. And so our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our friends, they begin to experience and see the love and the goodness of the Lord because he is pouring that into his church and the church is overflowing that into the world around us. We, church, are we enjoying God in such a way? Are we savoring the goodness of the Lord in such a way that the world around us is like, man, I want some of that. That it's just overflowing into the lives of those that are around us. Or are we trying to convince people health, wealth, and happiness? Or trying to convince them to have five steps to a better them? Because even if they do those five steps, they will still spend eternity apart from God if they don't have Jesus. So what God has invited us into is a love relationship with himself. And he's called us as the church to herald that, to administer that, to manage that, to steward that for his glory so that when we sit at his word and we pray and we live life together, that that just begins to overflow into the world around us. Amen? Can I pray for us? The band's gonna come back on up. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for being our authority, God, because we will always mess it up if we try to be. And so, God, I pray that we understand that you are the end-all, be-all that fills all in our lives. And God, for everybody here today who is sitting here and is struggling in specific areas of their lives, for me in my life, God, I pray in this time of confession that we would begin to, that you would begin to um, stir something in our heart. And through your love and your mercy and your grace, that, that, that stuff would begin to surface. And that we would understand that we don't need to deal with that stuff on our own, but that we actually get to, as your church, come together and deal with that stuff together. That when you begin to reveal to me, God, that I'm struggling uh, in my parenting or in my finances or in my possessions, God, that I can go to faithful brothers and say, guys, help me walk through this. God, I pray that we would become the church that you have laid out for us in Scripture. And that as we do that, as we love one another well, God, I pray that that love would overflow into the world around us. God, our community needs you. We know that between only 4 to 6% of the people in this community will attend church on a given Sunday. That means there's over 90% of people that want nothing to do with celebrating who you are with your people. God, that should stir a fire in our bones to, to go everywhere we live, work, and play and love you in such a way that it begins to overflow from our lives 
to the lost and dying world around us. So God, I pray that we would have the immeasurable greatness of your power placed inside of us through the power of your spirit. God, I pray that we would be a God-glorifying, Jesus-centered and spirit-led people that would go out and share your good news with every man, woman, and child. So God, thank you so much for this church that has been this for me, that has rallied around me and my family and has helped disciple my girls and has discipled my wife and who has loved really well. And I pray that we would continue to grow in that love for one another. God, we thank you. We lift this all up in your name. Amen.